Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. Something funny? No. No, 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 nothing's, you know, it's just the, both those belts look exactly the same to me, you know, I'm still learning about this stuff and, uh... <laughs> this stuff? Oh... Okay, I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. You go to your closet and you select, I don't know, that lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back. But what you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue. It's not turquoise. It's not lapis. It's actually cerulean. In this episode, we're talking about David Frankel's The Devil Wears Prada from the year 2006 with a screenplay by Aline Brosh-McKenna and based on Lauren Weisberger's 2003 novel, rumoured to be based on her time working under Vogue editor Anna Wintour, this film earned Meryl Streep and legendary costume designer Patricia Field Oscar nominations. Tonight, we're opening up our hideous skirt convention and dragging in Andy, played by Anne Hathaway, along with her boyfriend Nate, played by Adrian Grenier, and her boss Miranda, played by Meryl Streep. As Andy tries to negotiate and balance these two crucial relationships in her life, which do we think is the corn chowder and which the cube of cheese? The popularity of this film indicates something about where people are at with their relationships these days and how they're kind of trying to maintain the different uh, connections that they have with people in life. It's funny, it's, it, it's kind of running alongside the, a kind of drop-off of romantic comedies in cinemas you don't get nearly as many of them now as you did when we were teenagers but this film even though I wouldn't class it as exactly as a romantic comedy this film has become you know it was really popular when it was released and it's become more popular since um, you know people quote it a lot and I think that that might indicate that it kind of reflects maybe a bit more accurately what the realities are in people's lives these days when it comes to the complications of trying to hold down a successful, in inverted commas, personal life and a successful career. What do you think about that? I suppose it's interesting when you think about how in the film that the relationship between Andy and Nate is there in the background and it's referred to a lot and, and he doesn't have an awful lot of screen time and their interactions are kind of dotted throughout and it's built around and it's structured around her working life and her starting this new job and one of the things we were looking at discussing was how the relationship would feel different in the context of 2021 now he is initially very kind of finds it very humorous that Andy is painted I mean I, I'm a complete fool around this sort of stuff I don't know whether she looks good or bad you know how what her the things that she's wearing, how they're portrayed. I mean, she looked absolutely fine. You know, <laughs> I had no issues with that, but I don't work at Vogue or Runway, as Vogue is called in this film. But it's um, throughout as she goes through the film and she she changes, she changes her clothing. His support kind of wavers as he sees her changing. And also the fact that in some ways her working environment is could be seen as quite toxic. Um, yeah. But Miranda shows her power. She shows her, she rules with an iron fist. Everyone's scared of her. Mm. And Andy's so worried about 
initially that she's not worried at all but over the course she's worried about what she thinks how everything she does impacts and and I do wonder if again we're only talking 15 years god you know, how much things have changed and you wonder are workplaces getting away from that now and is a boss allowed to be that overbearing with the kind of caveat that oh well they're successful they're allowed to be I mean is, is that the sort of place that you've worked in the past? I think that you're right that it feels as if you'd be more you might there are certain aspects of the, of Miranda's behavior that you wonder whether they'd have to be more careful about now in workplaces but on the other hand since this film was made there's been a massive rise in unpaid internships so it would be quite likely that Andy's job now in the film she's not paid very much but she might well just get paid nothing now to try and get her foot in the door of an industry like that which is kind of scary to think of and it means that even if a boss like Miranda might have to kind of curb her language more there's another kind of form of exploitation that's going on now that might not be built around what people are allowed to say at work and more just about how they can you know, select people that have got the financial means to take on certain roles. So I think that's a, that's a kind of interesting development. And you're right about the way in which they have Miranda having that kind of quiet authority. And I, one of my favourite facts about this film is that Meryl Streep took inspiration from Clint Eastwood in her performance. You should have these published. You should have your own collection. Nobody buy it. Why do you say that? Well, six publishers have told me so. She made that decision to rather than rather than kind of go for the obvious, which would be to kind of rant and rave and, and screech. She went really quiet and thought that that would have a, mu- a much greater impact in terms of the, the feeling of having control over the situation. I think it's a really interesting choice, and I think that you know you can't you can't really take your eyes off her as soon as she gets on screen and it may and it does have an effect I think on how you view the relationships in the film because I think that actually uh, Miranda comes across as sort of more alpha than Nate if you see what I mean so it's almost as if even though she's a woman he's a man you kind of get the feeling that it's her presence that feels more powerful in Andy's life and that that's one of the things that are really interesting about the film because you're you're used usually to seeing films, particularly films directed predominantly towards women, where it's the men that kind of hold the, the power and the influence and all the money. And in this, it's Miranda. And that kind of subverts things quite interestingly, doesn't it? I mean, we we watched High Fidelity recently, didn't we? And in that, Rob has a similar complaint to Nate in this film where he talks about how Laura's job has changed her and how that's kind of had an effect on her personality and she's she's a different person to the to the one that she was before do you think that that sort of rings true at all in in how people's relationships go sometimes that they get together with someone and then on the one hand they want them to be as successful as they can be and be proud of them for that but then on the other hand when they do become more successful there's a slight threat in that and that it can make someone feel a bit insecure I definitely. I mean, I guess the thing is, is if it's a youngish couple, as as Nate and Andy seem to be here, talking young, younger than me, it's normal human nature, I guess. If you 
start a job where you're working in an environment such as that or somewhere where there is an element of pressure that sometimes you have to adapt to survive if you know she makes a big point of saying I'm not going to leave I'm not going to quit despite at one point running into Stanley Tucci's office saying she's going to quit and <laughs> she has to go through a process of both sort of hardening herself to the criticism and also dressing to impress because she has to because that's the industry and I, I actually really kind of sympathize with Nate to some extent because th- there's no element of oh, a very little element of control here and I feel that some of the scenes I think there's a, a part where um, Andy misses his birthday yeah or she's late home for his birthday and I mean I, I think perhaps the way he expresses his feelings perhaps isn't the most constructive yeah uh, maybe it's because he's a, a man in his I guess 20s but it's almost like he's losing her to another woman and that Miranda is the one who controls everything and, and he's losing out. And it's almost like it is like a love triangle in a way. There's Andy's being pulled in two directions and, you know, Miranda's the one who pays her wages, who's got so much influence and, you know, she wants to have time at runway on her CV Yeah. at the end of this, that she's, I would say, and even then, there's no element of malice there. It's just, it's not like she's willing the relationship with Nate to break down. It's just that perhaps, I think, it, I mean, it is somewhat hammed up a little bit for the film, but you do kind of feel sorry for, in some way, for all of the people involved. And yeah. I think um, it must be difficult for him being in the same job. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a chef. I mean, do you find any sympathy with with Nate for example um from what he from what he's observing in the change in Andy's behavior as you say I think it's I think it's very human to feel um a little bit threatened when you're in a relationship by another big influence that suddenly comes into another person's life and the fact is it is quite hard to uh stay together with someone if you don't get to spend any time together I mean that is that is uh, a fact but at the same time she's trying to get a foot in the door of a really competitive industry and that scene for instance where she does miss his birthday the reason that she misses it isn't because you know she just sort of stayed after work to go and have a drink with some people that day it's because she looks like she was just had to kind of go to what looks like a sort of veiled version of the Met gala you know where you know, you can see that if she had refused to go, she would have got fired. And and at the end of the, her evening, you see uh, the other guy, the other writer, asking her to stay for a while so that he can introduce her to his editor, which is a really fantastic networking opportunity for her. And she opts not to, and she opts to go back home to Nate instead. And the thing is, on the one hand, you completely sympathise, you know, that with with uh, Nate's feelings in that he's missing his girlfriend and he's maybe feeling a little bit jealous about these new things in her life. But on the other hand, if she had missed that opportunity to go to that event for work and sort of jeopardised all of those potential opportunities for herself, then she might have well have come to resent him, you know, in in quite a deep way. And that can also be quite dangerous, can't it, if you feel as if you're having to make some quite massive sacrifices. Uh, so that someone feels reassured 
So, and also, you are, he does know that this is only meant to be a year of her life, you know, that this isn't meant to be just um, the way of the way that her routine is going to be indefinitely. It's clearly one of those uh, jobs that people can sometimes get, particularly when when they're young, where you sort of have to give it your absolute all and sort of nearly kill yourself doing it in order to kind of get to the, the next step, you know. So it, it's almost as if he's he's just treating it, he's it's like he doesn't really maybe quite have a handle on the kind of industry. Who is that sad little person? Are we doing a before and after piece I don't know about? Do you think there's also something in um, Nate's attitude where there's something about the idea of the fashion industry representing that kind of idea of like presenting yourself, as you say, that thing of her kind of starting to wear sort of like smart clothes rather than casual clothes. And there's something in Nate, and I think this can sort of happen in quite a lot of people where they start to think that if you present yourself differently on an aesthetic level, you're somehow being false. So to be scruffy always means that you have a that you kind of have integrity. But if you're if you smarten up your appearance, that means that you're somehow doing something duplicitous or doing something superficial. And obviously you can go to extremes, but why why do you think why do you think some of us feel that way about like how how we dress what we sort of attach to the way we dress i think in the way you said that there is that element of you know she's dressing to impress and it's dressing to impress someone else yeah and i think the fact that the effort is being concentrated on her boss and like you said you know it's hard if you're in your 20s i guess to think that long term around it's a year potentially and she's trying to get this professional network I mean we're talking long before LinkedIn but this <laughs> is where it's all about first impressions and 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 it, to be honest Nate doesn't see the the stick that Andy gets on the first few days at work where she's belittled very publicly and humiliated in some regards because of the way she dresses wonder how that's kind of communicated between them because then the scene where they're in the bar and she starts giving out cosmetics and bags to her friends he has a face yeah. on him like okay, this is what you are now you know you're... and then the fact that she's called away by Miranda and there does seem a, a resentment there yeah and I think being younger it is hard because if you're on the outside seeing that change and it's not for you because it's like you say, it's human nature to be selfish and you feel like if she's going to change, why isn't it for me, even if, you know, it's this job. And yeah. I think he sees it because it's advertised at the beginning as a temp job. Why would you make this much effort for a temp job? And it's kind of strange when you, you know, and I know we, we talk about the chemistry between them because we, we see a lot of the scenes between Andy and Nate is in their flat or in their apartment. Yeah. And it's hard they're in their supposed their safe space where they should be able to be themselves and yet they seem like they're very physically attracted to each other but they seem I don't know the the way they speak to each other seems like there is some a little bit of need or a little bit of especially as as the film goes on um, before the in inevitable relationship breakdown but they do seem that she's changing she's I mean not it's for the better because we you know hoodies are great but the way that <laughs> well-dressed thing that you'd see in a magazine um and he is in you know he works in the kitchen mm. I, I think there is that element of of jealousy in yeah. there and 
the way it's presented there's definitely kind of a, a young person who's not really learned how to communicate that well yeah and there's also the at the beginning where she tells him and her friends that she's got a job at a fashion magazine he does say was it a telephone interview to her which you know where so her own so Nate himself is making a joke at her expense there about her not dressing well so it's not just the people at work that make that joke it's also him so that's the thing that's slightly that's slightly strange is that he kind of teases her about her lack of fashion sense and then when she gets a fashion sense he also doesn't like it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it is that thing where you think it it feels slightly like this person can only feel secure if he feels like he's got the upper hand. I yeah. don't know. Also, he doesn't make any complaint when she has the saucy underwear on, does he? He doesn't say, no, <laughs> well, no, no, take that off. Well, I think he did say take it off. No, you've got still a human being. There's quite... only so many principles a man can have. <laughs> I think that also, apart from Nate, there's quite a good, uh, quite a realistic portrayal, although it can be frustrating to watch, of her and her um, with her friends in general. Because I think, in some ways, you know, they take the they take the free gifts and stuff, but also, also, I think are kind of quite hard on her about about what the job is doing to her and and there are things about that that you can kind of recognize I think sometimes with people that have known you for a very long time that there can be and um, you know I think you, people have it in families and stuff so you get set in a role from quite early on in your life if you've known people for a very long time but then if you try and do something new sometimes or try and you know do something a bit flashy maybe or whatever it is then people can sometimes think you're getting kind of a bit ahead of yourself or getting a bit up your own ass or something and on the one hand it's quite good to have people to keep you keep you down to earth but when you're watching Andy's trajectory in, in this film you kind of think they, they all feel a little bit like they they just feel a bit unsettled by her doing this job well and kind of getting into this world you know and um, yeah yeah particularly with her female friend who works at you know who's obviously very successful and she works in a in a in a gallery she she comes down so hard on Andy when she sees her flirting with um, with the writer at the back of Shocking. back of the exhibition yeah she's very <laughs> she's very tough on her <laughs> even though that he free, that her free bag wasn't worth something no exactly <laughs> so do you think that that's it have you have you experienced that have you ever experienced that with them with people any of the people that have known you for a very long time where if you if you feel like you're doing something a bit different of of some kind that they might take the piss out of you a bit or maybe be a bit snarky um I I think so and I think that there is an element where you'd hope that a friend would keep your feet on the ground um uh, there's a very sliding scale I guess of what goes from support into something else you know whether it's resentment or jealousy or something else but I think you'd hope that a friend would at least remind you of say are you changing seems a bit harsh but there has to be an element of support within that but I think there doesn't seem to be a lot of understanding because they just see one side of it they see her or they see Andy 
taking calls and flying off at the uh, moment's notice like she's Batman or something like that. <laughs> and then, although she's, she is Catwoman, isn't she? But it's, yeah. um, you know, she and how she leaves the bar, how she leaves Nate, you know, for, for all these things that to, to what they see is a whim. But yeah. I guess what the, what the film does well, for my opinion, is that it does portray her pressures at work better than perhaps in a way the relationship and there's still a hierarchy there that she has to kind of negotiate and it's, it's difficult again you know I don't I, without having read the book I don't know if there's more context there and I know she's the main character or her and, and Miranda are the main character and, and it does feel I don't know there's almost like a part of it where Nate and Miranda are almost like the 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 wife and the mistress or the, the husband and the other man there's one comes calling and she takes the phone call and I mean that that part was portrayed quite well I mean we, we know exactly you know what the status is but um the relationship between Andy and Miranda is fluctuating so much over the course of the film and yet that's the one that gets most of the screen time and the story and yeah. um but at the end of the day you know of all the people who change Miranda doesn't change she's still Miranda she might soften at times she might harden at times but you know she's the one constant throughout this that Andy has to revolve around so uh do do you find their relationship compelling in a similar way yes yes completely and it taps into something more common than a lot of Hollywood films indicate which is that quite often in in women's lives you can be just as struck by a powerful woman that you have in your life as as you can be by you know a romantic relationship that you might have with a man and I think a lot of films sort of indicate that it's just the the pull towards romantic relationships that have big influences in in women's life and I don't think that's true and I think in this one there is something about Andy wanting to to being affected by Miranda's authority and wanting to rise to the challenge and impress her and dress the part that's all extremely relatable and I think that it's interesting actually that you you mentioned Batman because I was I was thinking about sort of things like um, Batman and Bond and all of those kind of films where you have these these men who are either superheroes or in Bond's case you know they're they're trying to they're kind of um they're trying to do an extremely difficult job in a sort of fantastical way and there isn't you know that you might you might have kind of um you might have sort of bits of moral you might have a moral dilemma in in the films going on at one point or another but there isn't a, a a long theme in them about whether or not these people are being I don't know, for want of a better word, nice. And I think that in this film, it sort of explores that thing where women have to constantly negotiate the the difficult thing of having the pressure on them now more than ever to be successful while seeming like nice people who aren't nasty to anyone. And how that is kind of, there isn't really that standard for, for men. I think that men are evaluated more on, you know, success physical strength wealth and there's less this sort of pressure to to be you know to, i mean you know in in bond is there a scene in a bond film where he misses a girl's birthday and and he's sort of portrayed as a bad man for that 
No, I think the closest <laughs> of the, I'm sure he's probably missed a birthday or missed something and then turned up and got his way in anyway and no consequences. I think that's the main, <laughs> yeah. the, main mor- the main moral you learn from Bond films is life has no consequences. With this, the consequences are made clear from the beginning. You know, yeah. if you if the phone rings and goes to voicemail, she kicks off. If you don't come when she calls you, things go wrong. Um she's put under this I mean the scene with the Harry Potter book where it's it's a it's clearly a test. Yeah. And you know, it's like, can you do the impossible? And of course Andy manages to do it, obviously with with some help from the man, the sleazy man. But she manages to do this, and of course you kind of think, oh, maybe her opinions have changed and some avenues open and, and her relationship with Emily kind of suffers as a result of this improvement. You know, there's very much a number one and a number two. Um, yeah. Uh, jackets and bags being thrown on the desk. It's like, you're the, you're the lower. You, you deal with my baggage. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it cops it. Things are clearly changing throughout, but... Um, yeah, I do find it. Um, I do find it interesting because, you know, something else when we talk about people's motivations around the relationships, I think yeah, maybe, maybe there's a moral here in that for Andy you can't have it all, and that her motivations, yes, she does put her career first, but I think that's not a malicious thing. She doesn't make a choice. You know, perhaps it's an aspirational thing, but then not every job is going to be an assistant to the editor of Vogue slash Runway. From Andy's point of view, uh, how do you see, do you, do you think she's made a clear choice or is she is she trying to have it all? And I think before, before that happens, I think it's a matter of, as she says to her dad, if she gets through the, if she gets through the year, if she manages to, to keep her head above water, then it could open up lots of doors for her. And... It's tricky because if if you if you manage to do that for yourself and that's the um, the path that you want to take, then you may well, by dint of doing that for a year, become a more fulfilled individual, and therefore you might be able to have more happy personal relationships in the future because you made a few sacrifices um, in that moment in time when you were young, when you had the energy to. So it's it's. I think that even though it, the, the film kind of shows you her walking out of the job in the end and then having that conversation with Nate and you're not absolutely sure whether they're going to get back together or not and her and she's she's quite sort of apologetic to him isn't she in that scene I still think that the film I think the film leaves you with a feeling of of actually thinking that it might be worth giving your all to a to an opportunity when it comes up because of the sort of unique experience it gives you and there can be something quite exhilarating about that I don't know what you think what do you think the film leaves you with as a in terms of thinking about the relationship I, I think there is an element of I don't want to call it selfishness because that make that that sounds like a negative word but mm. I think chosen a career in journalism yeah. and she needs to concentrate on that and sometimes you have to prioritize your life sometimes you have to make choices but Andy and Nate are not going to be the first relationship that suffers because one person's career has gone in a different direction and because she's proved herself to be 
indispensable until she proved herself not to be. Um, and that was an active choice on, on Andy's part with the phone in the fountain. Nate seems to have done well in his career. Um, Andy's career is going in the right direction. Yes, they're not together, but sometimes, who knows, in The Devil Wears Prada too, we'll find out. But I do wonder, you know, the, the, the moral of the story is that sometimes you have to concentrate on these things and you do have to make a choice, but the choice isn't always the bad thing. You know, you may lose out, but you may gain in the long run. And she learned a lot. She's become a different person at the end whether she's better or not is a matter of a discussion well maybe we should do it here but it's um <laughs> in the it's clearly shown that if you work hard and commit to things and obviously there's an element of luck your colleague getting run over carrying a 20 scarves if you can call that luck but i am um, i think you know there's one <laughs> we talk about relationships on this podcast and yet the relationship, certainly the romantic relationship, not working out is to the benefit probably of both parties. So what about you? What are you going to do now? I, actually, I have uh, a job interview today. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. That's what you're wearing? Yeah, I like this. He takes a job in a different city and they only broke up just before she went to Paris. So it sort of indicates that he quite quickly really went and went and accepted, you know, a job offer away from her. And that's another thing that leaves you thinking is you think, if she had if she had made more sacrifices in order to spend more time with Nate and therefore lost her job at runway, and then he came home one day and said, Oh, I've had this great opportunity in a different city, I'm moving away. You'd feel you'd feel a lot of resentment on if you were her, I think. And so you're left feeling that that Nate wasn't necessarily in a position where he was going to put everything on hold to be with Andy. And that maybe part of the reason why he feels like quite a downbeat presence in the film is maybe because he's not feeling that fulfilled at work and he, he wants a kind of similar opportunity to the one that she's got rather than him thinking oh, I'm desperately in love with this person and I want to be with them no matter what I mean I don't know what you think but it feels to me quite like a relationship that a lot of people might have not not certainly not everyone but a lot of people might have maybe in their 20s where you know it's two people that like each other very much but as you say the relationship might be something that kind of runs its course and then the two people go off in different directions and they grow and that and that can be part of a lot of people's lives. So it might have been a mistake for either of them, as you say, to to put all of their eggs in that relationship basket at the expense of everything else. Yeah, I think that's the perfect sum up, isn't it? That if <laughs> two people in their 20s that doesn't end well, but it, everyone learns something at the end. Yeah, I think there's something interesting as well about the the rela- the relationship that Miranda has with her different uh, with her different colleagues. I think kind of mirrors what can happen in romantic relationships as well, where you have um, Nigel played by Stanley Tucci and Emily played by Emily Blunt, both both fantastic performances, and 
you feel that both of them are incredibly loyal to Miranda in a way that Andy isn't, maybe. But because they're so loyal and kind of desperate to, to you know, stay at runway no matter what, and, and well, or to, or to kind of, you know, climb, climb that ladder, there's something about that feeling maybe of kind of almost too much dedication that has slightly put Miranda off and she's more inclined to give opportunities to someone like Andy who has that feeling of um, wanting to impress Miranda but on the other hand having other other irons in the fire and I think that's kind of similar to how people can be in romantic relationships sometimes I don't know what you think but that feeling sometimes if you feel that someone's too desperate to to be with you or to be with with someone else then that can sometimes be a slight turn off and that quite often people end up being keener on people who feel maybe a little bit more like you know they've got they've got other things in their life apart from you <laughs> the part where nigel is basically loses out on his sort of dream role really because miranda's engaged in self-preservation in order to keep her own job she sabotages Nigel's dream mm. um, and places her replacement as his replacement instead. Yeah. And the fact that when Andy says to him about, you know, what are you going to do? And he says, oh, well, she'll pay me back. And even then there's so much lack of, such a lack of conviction where he says, you have to hope. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like being in a difficult marriage or a difficult relationship where, you know, he's her employee yeah. And to be honest, she's perfectly entitled to do what she did, but at the expense of of his trust. But he's still there because ultimately he's in a position where he still might benefit from his loyalty. Yes. And by not kicking up a stink, it might keep him in her good books because she's so influential, she's so powerful. And there is yeah. just this sadness in his face. I mean, it is, you know, initially it is that kind of, Joey losing the award at, in Friends with kind of that <laughs> great, gracious loser. But then this is the thing about Stanley Tucci, you know, it's, it's a smallish role, but he makes it so human. Yeah. In that scene where he's just kind of, he is like a cliched battered wife in an old film where he's just yeah. like, she, she might change. Totally. You know, and she exerts total control and yet he still hangs around because it might lead to something better. Yes, and I mean, it's like turning a blind eye, isn't it? Turning a blind eye to yeah. stuff that's going on in your marriage. Yeah, completely. That that was probably, you know, as, as a first time watch, that was probably the most awkward part of the film to watch in terms of the way that someone's treated. And Andy was just a kind of, he was the inquisitor in this part. She was asking the questions. Just the way that he's crushed and yet still tries to keep it going. Mm. Um you know, we know that 20 years later, he'll probably still be in the same place, plugging away, hoping for that next opportunity that comes up because she owes him, but she owes him nothing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that all of that sequence is quite good at showing you the reality of what, the, you know, these incredibly successful people that you that you hear about, that in order to, to become that successful and to retain to retain that success you probably do have to 
had to be pretty ruthless and there you know and it'll probably be quite rare that someone will have risen to the top without there being incidences like that where they've had to you know in order to save their own skin they've had to do something you know that isn't that well that that is basically at someone else's expense you know and that these industries can be can be really tough in that way Another thing that another relationship that I think is quite interesting in this video for 2006, but I, the the relationship between Christian and and Andy feels very pre pre me too in that in the feeling of um you know he's he's so instrumental in being able to get her that Harry Potter book and it all feels her whole um her whole connection with him feels very based on this idea that she has to sort of en- entertain him in his flirting. And the whole sort of scene in Paris and and all of that and um, it's quite nice now to think that maybe that maybe a, a relationship like that in a film would be maybe examined a little bit more closely in this day and age. Whereas you can see that at the time when this is set, it's sort of just the part of Andy's world that she'll encounter a guy like that who's just a real snake and she'll have to just sort of d- deal with all the implications of a, a relationship like that as, pa- as part of her as part of her job and her trajectory it is you know there is that me too side of it where he holds a power over her in that it's his connections that he dangles in front of her yeah the fact that he has so much influence Yes. And he's clearly willing to use it in order to get her into bed. Yeah. And I mean, there is also an element she becomes his sort of inner into into that part of the world as well. But I mean, it's all sex. That's all he wants. One thing I really do like, though, is that she has a she has a one night stand with Christine, and it doesn't feel feel as if the film judges her for that at all, which is actually more rare than one might think in. In films, in films of this nature, you know, they have a they have a drunken night and and that's it. And then the next day, she goes off and tries to warn Miranda about what's going on, and she doesn't have some kind of you know moral crisis about it or anything. And that and that's and that's quite good and quite you know I think it's sort of quite realistic as a as the kind of thing that might that might happen to someone like Andy in that in that position, you know. Um, I, I think the the amusing thing about and we've joked about the comparisons of James Bond is that this is very much a James Bond scene. Yeah, you know, she's woken up with someone, you know, having had a one night stand. She then engages in a spot of espionage, uncovers this plot, and seeks to rectify it. And of course, in the grand scheme of things, it's not Miranda already knew of the plans to oust her and had already acted on them. But the fact is that. Andy's loyalty, ignoring the fact there was a potential of a morning quickie, she's quickly <laughs> jumped in, quickly jumped into spy, spy mode. Um, he obviously wasn't worth it, and she's gone into work mode. And this is her trying to show her loyalty to Miranda. And at the end of that, that's kind of what sets the ball rolling in her mind. This is the end game. She discovers the plan to oust, which then rolls into how she has so much knowledge around what happens to Nigel at the end and that she has some emotional involvement in that. Um, yes. And like you say, you know, it, it flips a little bit, you know, like you say, it doesn't judge her and it doesn't linger on that because to be honest, the one that's then isn't relevant other than it just puts those 
people in that position. Completely. Um, so yeah, well, not that position, but it's um, but yeah, so it's um, it, it's it's done well in the way that I mean, obviously, like we we've discussed, it's based on a book written by a woman with women as the main people in. So you'd worry, you'd be really worried if it came out judging women in any way other than you know may judge their professionalism or their their mannerisms yeah. at work at work. Yeah, the book is. I have read the book, and um, the book actually really takes anything that the film the film does to sort of um, make you feel as if this job is kind of you know making her kind of glow glow with um, style and glamour. That the book doesn't do that at all. I can remember there being quite a lot of vivid descriptions of the the physical the physical and um, mental effects of that level of exhaustion. You know, there's the Andy's getting kind of you know sort of like four hours of sleep per night and and um, and she talks quite vividly in the book about the effects that that kind of lifestyle will have on a on a person kind of you know month after month so it's it leaves you with a very different feeling I think the book but the but the film I think is a you know is is really really fantastic and it's a it's a it's kind of it I can see it's a spin on a book but it takes it in a completely different different place and and as I said before I think it does make you feel actually in the end that her experience has been worth it even if it's been at the expense of her her romantic relationship really I mean the the very fact that it's got two Madonna songs on the soundtrack I think kind of <laughs> sort of tell tells you tells you that it's not necessarily selling you this dream of domestic bliss is it anything that anything that does that yeah I, I did make a note that they played Vogue as she was strolling into the offices <laughs> yeah. of the publishers just in case you weren't sure you know, I don't think Madonna did a song called I don't know Women's Own or TV Guide <laughs> slightly hitting over the head with a sledgehammer but um yeah, yeah oh but you've got to oh much. if you've got an opportunity to use Vogue you've got to use Vogue it's like Dancing Queen it's just it, you know never fails well, um, at the beginning, when Miranda entered the office, I did expect her to burst into some an ABBA song of some sort. <laughs> after. I don't know. This must have been. I don't know. Maybe this, did she make this before Mamma Mia? I guess. But, I think um, she did. I think this might have kicked off the Merrill Renaissance. You know, sort of okay. Merrill going into into kind of good time roles. And I'm I'm very. She was up for an Oscar for this, but lost out to Helen Mirren as the Queen. But I think it is a shame okay. that she didn't get the Oscar for this because I think it's really good performance. What did you think? It was. I mean, I, I had it kind of down as a low-key Corella Deville. Um, but yeah. I think the, the Clint Eastwood comparisons, I mean, I, I guess she took a lot of lessons from him. They did the, was it the Bridges of Madison County yes. together. Yes. So maybe uh, she took up some Dirty Harry tricks from him there. But um, I mean, she was terrifying in a, in that kind of, you know, the, the silent assassin kind of thing, but you know everything about her, you know her mannerisms just sh- shrieked power. Completely. Um, and I guess even, I mean, I don't know a lot about Anna Wintour or anything, but I have seen bits on there was a BBC documentary about it recently. And again, you know, this is how I thankfully knew about the September issue and all this stuff that I really wouldn't have had any idea about several yes. years ago. Yeah. Um, and you know the comparisons with them. But, you know, she did take it in a different direction and, and did have the kind of Merrill stamp on it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, 
Meryl Streep. What's she doing not getting an Oscar? I know it's Helen Mirren. I know it's the Queen, but it's Meryl Streep. Come on. Yeah, I think it might be. I mean, I really like Meryl Streep, but it might be my favourite Meryl Streep performance. I think it's so it's so inventive, as you say. It's not based on. It's not one of these things where someone's getting an Oscar for for mimicking someone perfectly. And some of the some of the time that slightly irritates me because you know, I don't know. I don't know. I just quite like the. I quite like it when an actor comes up with their own with their own interpretation of the idea of someone. And I, I like the fact that she she's not just dressed up as Anna Wintour and doing an impression of her. It's you know it's loosely based on Anna Wintour, but she's come come up with her own character and I think I heard someone refer to this film as the the noughties Wall Street and she has that <laughs> kind of thing isn't it you know like Michael Douglas and Wall Street or something but I quite like that idea of comparing her to some of those big big alpha sort of you know effort. I mean it is in some ways it is a little bit Don Draper I don't know what you think about that your favorite guy <laughs> yeah, except Meryl Streep didn't sleep with Anne Hathaway or marry her, or I don't think she was living a double life quite. But she had problems at home as well, and she was yeah. still this, on on the face of it, still this all seeing, all powerful being. We didn't quite get to the point where it all unravelled the way that Don Don Draper's career did. But um, yeah, definitely a lot of uh, a lot of parallels there. Yeah, know, if there was a. You think of a snappy. I know the the advertising agencies themselves came up with Mad Men, but I wonder if there's a a sort of fashion mag equivalent. She's on her way. Tell everyone. She's not supposed to be here until nine. Her driver just text messaged, and her facialist ruptured a disc. God, these people. That I can't even talk about. All right, everyone, gird your loins. Well, as we chuck our mobile phones into the fountain and pull our lumpy cerulean sweaters back on, we leave you with the question. Cat? Yeah? Please bore someone else with your questions. I've been Cat. I've been Rich. And this has been Don't You Want Me. Oh, oh, oh.